Hello, faithful listeners. This is Pastor John Clowder from Faith Lutheran Church here in Forest Lake, and we are so glad that you are listening online to our online podcast. Welcome you to worship anytime on Sundays at 9 a.m. or 10.30, and thanks for being here. Thanks for participating in worship with us as we look forward to the week ahead. A reading from Genesis. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. And I will make my covenant between me and you and will make you exceedingly numerous. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You shall be the ancestor of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be Abram, but your name will be Abraham. For I have made you the ancestor of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you. I will establish my covenant between me and you, and your offspring after you, throughout their generations, for an everlasting covenant, to be God to you and to your offspring after you. God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, You shall not call her Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I shall bless her, and she shall give rise to nations. Kings of people shall come from her. A Gospel reading from the 8th chapter of Mark. Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. He said all this quite openly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. He called the crowds with his disciples and said to them, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Indeed, what can they give in return for their life? Those who are ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of them the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Grace and peace to you, my brothers and sisters in Christ. In the United States, there's a growing scandal that we both refuse to see and actively perpetuate. What Americans avoid facing is that while we are very generous and charitable giving, Much of that money is either wasted or actually harms the people it's targeted to help. How is that for an attention-grabbing opening paragraph to a book? And that's how Robert Lupton starts his book, Toxic Charity. Reading this book in my life led to a very pivotal uh, paradigm shift in my own ministry and my own understanding of what ministry was all about. This was published in 2011, so I read this early on when I was a pastor. And its, rec- uh, its message still rings true to this day, and there's some very important nuggets and takeaways that I can, that I can turn to and think about. And I appreciate how Lupton 
explores this idea that charitable giving can actually be harmful. And I, I know it seems like a weird, weird thing to, to, to really comprehend, but how? Well, he, he, really has a, he really does reflect on how charity, when it's transactional, it, when it just becomes a, a give and a take, that it's not really all that beneficial. So he's talking about transactional charity, both for the giver and for the receiver, that that can be problematic. And so he shares his own experiences throughout this book, and, and he talks about witnessing to generational poverty and how generational poverty can be reinforced in children who get the message that good stuff comes from rich people and it's free. And we often think of, well, whose fault is that? Well, well, this is where this really is quite the question for us. The type of charity where money or volunteers or stuff, just it often can appear in communities or countries that have just been deemed poor. And so uh, when this happens, another devastating action can happen. And that, that is the response that eventually gets created, that gets reinforced over time. And, and, and it probably starts in, in a good way, right? That response to charity devolved from good, right? From gratitude to all of a sudden expectation. And then over time, leading to entitlement. And then what happens? Well, then we see whose finger gets pointed at who, right? We, we see that the collective we of society, the you and me, oftentimes we, we, we see this play out and we get mad at, at those people receiving those entitlements and expecting a handout. We, we create stereotypes. We've dehumanized our neighbors. We say, well, why can't they just pull themselves up? And we don't see where we actually have contributed to that systemic injustice and we try to just wash our hands clean of it and walk away. And now I know this feels like it might be somebody else's fault. This is something else that's just kind of played out. But Lupton really does want the church to be looking hard at ourselves and seeing in the mirror where we have perhaps come up short in this equation. He talks where a great example of this played out for Lupton was on a mission trip. And I think this was an eye-opening experience for him. He talked about this. He also, he, he had some really good illustrations of where he saw his own self in, in, this, in the problem. And so he was talking about, there's this mission trip to Nicaragua, and he brought some church members with him. And these church members had their hearts full of pity and suitcases bulging with giveaway goods and wallets full of money. And the Nicaraguan leader that they met described this experience to Lupton as turning his people into beggars. He, and Lupton acknowledged that the motives were well-meaning, but What's happened is we've neglected the due diligence to determine the true emotional, economic, and cultural outcomes of the receiving end of charity. We just have said, take it, and we haven't really thought about what, what's actually happening in that relationship. And then Lupton explains how in his own giving, what really was the light bulb experience for him was how he observed he was part of the problem. And he talked about the transactional giving and how it has an effect on him, the giver. And he said, look, I expected gratitude in exchange for my free gifts, but I also enjoyed occupying the superior position of the giver, but I would cover that carefully with this facade of humility. Yikes, wow. Like, what he noticed was this unhealthy culture of dependency, not just on the person receiving it, but also him, on the receiver. And he noticed there was a power imbalance, And what happens when there's a power imbalance is we stop seeing each other as humans and we start seeing that we're not, I mean, we we lose that interconnected relationship and we find ourselves putting ourselves in that position of power and better than others. 
So there's good news. Believe it or not, out of all of this, there's good news because this book, even though it's got an ominous title and it started out in a very kind of a somber way and felt like kind of a harsh wake-up call, there's actually a lot of ways that we can think about how we can reverse this. And, and I think we can see that play out a lot here in our own church and in the greater church. I'm seeing changes in how we've perceived charity and how our relationship is with others. And so at its core, this book really helps us get away from the transactional way of thinking about charity and moves us to that important relational way of charity. And, and so he recognized that one of the things that we need to do in order to have that paradigm shift is to move away from the doing for the poor and actually do doing with the poor. And that is a huge thing for us to keep in mind. How can we walk with our neighbors? And how can we see giving as as a way to do good because it's relational. But before I really dig into that, I want us to think about how this mindset of a transactional charity really, where did that even come from? Why did our understanding of what God wants us to do for our neighbors turn into like this quid pro quo? Why, why is it all about giving and receiving? And perhaps it's stories like we saw in the Bible, like even with the Hebrew Bible today of of Abraham and and Sarah, and thinking about there's examples of obedience leads to a blessing and disobedience leads to being cursed. You know, it's filled, our Bible is is often filled with this kind of a a mindset and and leads to us thinking about how, how our relationship with God is. But there's a huge shift in that when we see what Jesus is talking about. When, when Peter, who just a few verses ahead of time, says, Jesus, you're the Messiah, and all of a sudden says, yep, you got it. And then, and then he tells him what's going to happen. He says, I'm going to die. And Peter's like, whoa, 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 whoa. You're the Messiah. You're supposed to be the one who's going to bring us life. You can't die. And Jesus is like, no, no. Peter, you're not quite following me here, buddy. Like, this is my mission. And what do, we, what do we do to follow Jesus is we take up our cross and follow Jesus. And I think that message has perhaps kind of soured where we think we've got to go looking around for our own suffering. We've got to find suffering. We've got to be able to find someone else's suffering and take that on ourselves in order to say, well, sh- this is it. I'm doing it. I'm following Jesus. And that can lead to some, some really bad consequences. You see, uh, Ira Brent Digger, Driggers uh, is not a a dean at uh, Lenore Ryan University at L, um, LTS down in, um, down in Columbia, South Carolina. And he, when he was talking about this, he said, this passage from Mark is often taken out of context. And it seems to suggest that the mission of Jesus and his disciples is to suffer and die. So hold on to that thought for just a second, because we know that's going to be the outcome, but that's not the whole thing, right? There's more to the story, because when we read this passage within the narrative context, within the whole gospel of Mark, we come to see that the mission of Jesus and his disciples is to give life, knowing that the earthly powers will violently oppose them. So hold on to that thought for just a second, because often I think we hear this message of take up your cross, and it leads us to these assumptions that like the only way to follow Christ must be to suffer, right? Like God's given us suffering, and it's like God threw this at us because it's supposed to build character. It's supposed to be like, oh, it's Lent. I'm supposed to be on this journey, and God, thank you for giving me suffering. No, no, that's not it at all, folks. That's definitely going to be causing some harmful understandings of God. And, and that can definitely be difficult theology for us to, to really unpack. What's God really trying to do? What's God trying to show us in a story like this? Well, the real epiphany of Mark 8 
is not that Jesus' mission is to die. That's an outcome, okay? But his faithfulness to God's healing mission will inevitably result in his death. And there's a difference, right? Because in Mark, Jesus must die because he's so committed to our human healing and that Jesus won't falter in that mission. So Mark's saying that the Son of God isn't going to dial down his ministry just to save his own life, right? That's the temptation, right? Like, the devil in the wilderness is like, don't do this. You know, this is going to be really bad. And Jesus is like, look, I'm not going to do that because I love the world too much. Even though it could ease my suffering, Jesus says, I am committed to the healing of humanity. And that healing and that love literally knows no limits and neither does God's life-giving power, which we see played out, of course, on the cross at Easter, That resurrection is what really points us to God's love. And so by following Christ, we know that suffering's inevitable. It's it's just part of what it means to be a Christian is that if I'm not suffering, my neighbor might be. And that it doesn't mean that I have to like all of a sudden take that and become suffering, but it's that I'm walking with my neighbor. Whatever my neighbor is going through, that my love for my neighbor is one that that says no matter what, I I will be there with you. And so we don't dial down our ministry, folks. We, we don't back down when it comes to making sure that we're bringing food to the hungry or providing homes to the unsheltered or befriending the lonely. That's what it means to be a child of God and to live in this world together. So last week we talked about what that could be. I mean, because there's plenty of systemic problems in our world, right? And there's some things that we can take on and say, look, we want to do something. And so whatever that is, and so honestly, you know, honestly, with, with unsheltered um, homelessness and, and different things in our world, we're seeing that play out quite a bit. But uh, we had Deacon Nina present this to us last week in her message. And, and we see how there's this continuum. And it starts on the left with, with like direct service. It evolves into education and advocacy and then direct action organizing, organizing. But all around that is prayer and it's discernment and it's trying to understand, hey, what are the root causes of whatever is going on? How can we work to provide long-term solutions and not just emergency stopgaps, right? And direct service is one of the most important ways for us to really get into that entry point. So like if you've never done anything good ever and you want to do something good, direct service is a way for you to get in there uh, and to learn how, how to actually help address an issue. It's, it's going to build into your education. It's going to build into your advocacy and into your direct action organizing. So direct service, a great example of that is, is our stuff. It's the things that we give. It's our money. It's our possessions. It's the different things that we give that's going to be able to help someone as they are walking forward with whatever that issue is. And on the spectrum, it's, it's also one of the easiest ways to get involved. It's a huge entry point for us. And so that's why we talk about it so frequently in church. Because often we're just providing you opportunities to, to invest and to actually learn how to do ministry. I mean, that's really one of the purposes of our church is to actually live out that mission led by the Spirit to share God's grace. One way to do that is to actually do that. And so here it is. But as a church, we are not a social service agency. So, like, it's not our job to do the full thing all the time because we realize that we aren't equipped to do the full thing all the time, but we can provide entry points for each of us to be able to step into it. 
That's why it's essential for us to have good partners. And those advocates that we work with are with the county. It's with the school district. It's with the food shelf. It's with 501c3s that do this as they're, this is all that they do. And as a church, we do that a little bit, but we're also providing spiritual care. We're providing uh, fellowship. We're providing so many different things that we come together. We, we're a place that brings it all together, but we also bring you into relationships with those other people who are doing that work. The relationship matters. It's not transactional. You see, I mean, this is something that we are engaged with our neighbor, not doing it for our neighbor. So one of the most important things I've learned as a pastor is, is, is making that shift and understanding how, how important that is. So at Faith, just look at this list. I mean, this is just a brainstorm of a lot of the ways that we have charity and donations. And some of these ministries I'll lift up again next week because I really want us to talk about some of the stuff that we, that we do and that we give because um, there's also the relationship of, of doing that, that event or doing, uh, for example, like quilting or the mana pack. These objects or these things actually pre, uh, provide relationship with internally but also with whoever we're working with. And I can't wait to, to really dig into these, uh, these topics in the next few weeks because when it really comes to our ministry, this is a, a powerful way for us to see where we're called to really lift that up. A couple other things that are happening right now. It's, tomorrow's March 1st and it's the beginning of uh, Minnesota Food Share Month. And this is something that we do where you know, we reach out and we, we collect items to be able to provide to the food shelf. You saw how generous our congregation was for the Super Bowl uh, back at the beginning of February. This is a continuation of that. We are so grateful for all that you are doing, Faith, to be able to provide for our neighbors, to provide food. But there's also another... Uh, fundraising opportunity in the month of March that might, might for you be like, well, how is that providing direct service? Well, one of the things we're going to do in March is we're going to ask you to help us with our floral and decorating fundraiser. Floral and decorating, how does that help provide uh, for the hungry? I'll tell you, because in anticipation of Easter, one of the things that we do is we decorate inside and outside the building to really help tell the story. And so the, the more that we're able to tell that story and the more that we're able to bring people uh, something that's going to catch their eye and say, wow, I really want to be a part of that, this is a great way for us to do some evangelism, for us to really welcome people into our building through the live stream here, but also for the outdoor Easter service to be able to say, look, we want you to be part of this. We want you in our neighborhood to be able to come to our church because we want to teach you about what God is doing in our context, in our world. We want to teach you that Faith Lutheran is invested in our schools, that we are invested in our food shelves, that we are invested in the unsheltered, because honestly, these are our neighbors, and we can't help but walk alongside them. And I think that's what Jesus is asking us to do when when he says to pick up our cross. Because Christ's love, it's not transactional. Good luck ever, ever trying to repay that You can't do it, folks. This gift is something that we could never, ever, ever hope to repay. Because Jesus' love is relational. Jesus' love is what he wants in return, is that relationship with God, with each other, and with our neighbors. And that gift, my friends, that's a gift that I love to give but it's also one that I love to receive. And Faith, you do such a great job at modeling both. Praise be to God. Amen. Well, that's it for this week's sermon. Thank you for joining us.
Look for more information on faithfl.org or certainly reach out to the office if you would like to receive weekly email updates. Thank you.